You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. What's a crazy conversation that you've heard, like overheard? Does, does anybody have one? A breakup on the subway? That... Oh, dude, that's really kind of messed up. Oh, it was. Okay, well, as long as it was a little one. I don't even know what that means, but as long as it was. I, I heard this conversation. Um, I was walking through Union Square, and this woman was like, uh, she's on the phone, and she just is going, yeah, he's, he's really cute. Yeah, I brought him home. I slept with him. Yeah. No, I think I need to ask him if he's gay. Like, that's all I heard. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, whoa, boy, um, these conversations are something else. Uh, but we hear them, right? And, and like you're sitting in a cafe and you hear like somebody on the phone and you're like, what is happening on the other end of that phone? Like, do you guys ever feel that way? Yeah, yeah. Um, Amy Butler, who's the pastor at Riverside Church, she's a friend. And she says, when you read the letters that Paul writes in scripture, they often feel like a one-way phone call. They feel like those phone calls that you're, that you're um, uh, you know, experiencing, where you hear one side of the story, you get one person's like uh, emotion and one person's words and one person's side, and then you're sort of like guessing what's going on on the other end of the phone. And you could kind of surmise, you're kind of like, I think this is a breakup happening here. I think this is a stabbing, right? <laughs> or I think this is like, you know, you know I, think, I, I think this is this thing, but I'm not quite sure, right? And, and so the, the way we look at are the letters that Paul writes it's like we see some of the ways and some of the context in which Paul writes these letters, but we don't know exactly who these letters are to. They're to a church. Are they to a certain people in the church? Um, we don't know exactly why he's writing what he, why, uh, what he writes. Is there a certain event or a certain something that happened that uh, would allow Paul to write this stuff? And so um, we have this scripture, right? And it's in our Bible, which means that in some capacity, it's inspired. God wants us to learn from this. And so as we're closing out our... Um, misused scripture series for this season, um, I want to remind us that, that if we're going to, to be a part of misused scripture, then we have to re, uh, read the Bible the way Jesus read it. We have to read the Bible the way Paul read it. We have to read the Bible using, I use this word every week, what word is it? We have to look at it in context. Good. You guys did so much better than first service. Nice. I'm proud of you. And so what I want to remind us of as we close out and as we continue to look at our scripture and talk about it in context, remember this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I think it's this important. These letters provide us with instructive and inspired glimpses into how Jesus' teachings were lived out by real people and real communities facing real challenges. It's not in the details found in the letters that we should seek to imitate, but it's in the attitudes. So a lot of times when we talk about a plain reading of Scripture, it means that we're looking at the details on the page. I always think about it looking like a little uh, magnifying glass on the page at the Word. And what we want to do when we're interpreting Scripture, when we're looking at Scripture, is we want to pull back. And we're going to look at the context. We want to look at the attitudes behind the Scripture. We want to sleuth a little and try to figure out what's going on on the other side. And so that's what we've been doing throughout this whole series. And that's what we're going to do with the Scripture that we have for you today. Uh, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be in, uh, in 1 Corinthians quite a bit. So uh, if you want to jump there, 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going to go over our misused Scripture. Are we ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but they must be in submission, as the law says. 
If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. I think we're done here. <laughs> we're finished. Uh, how, many, how many is this a deal breaker? How many people, does this feel like a deal breaker for you? Like, I don't know if I can believe in a God who, who says that one gender is better than the other. I like, I like all the two people started and then a wave happened and all you did. Good. No, it's hard, right? Um, it's a deal breaker for a lot of people. There are people I know that don't go to church any longer because of passages like this. They're like, if a loving God really truly loved me, that guy would see me as equal. That guy would not command somebody to see me as being silent. And that's happened. Uh, at this church, I, I almost feel like we take it for granted, right? We have women who lead. We have women who preach. Uh, we have women on our leadership team. And so part of me is like, I, I think many of us really don't know what this verse means or what it's about, but we're kind of like, eh, Forefront has women up on stage all the time, so I'm just going to kind of let it go. How many people feel that way? Yeah. <laughs> and then there are people who really do want to figure this out. There are people who have been hurt by this passage, who have been told that they are not equals because of this passage, and they want to know the context of this passage. We don't want to look at the details down here with our, or our magnifying glass. We want to look up and get a bird's eye view. We're looking at the attitude behind the scripture. So what is the attitude behind the scripture? Well, Paul is super confusing. Do you guys want to get confused? I'm going to get you confused. Let's get confused. Because Paul writes this verse in 1 Corinthians 14. And then he writes in 1 Timothy... A woman should learn quietness and, and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Wow. Okay, so Paul, said, or Paul says that. There's so many good misused scripture verses for next time. I can't wait. Um, uh, so there's a couple of theologians who will say this. They will say, oh, when Paul talks about women should remain silent in Timothy and in the Corinthians, he's talking about women who are speaking in tongues and there's no one there to interpret it. That's what some theologians or scholars will say. And they, they use this verse from Thessalonians. They say, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. So that's one idea or one thought that's out there. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that one. But I also know that Paul gets everything more confusing because in the same exact letter that he tells the women to be quiet, he has this verse. And this verse says, Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays and prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So when you are praying and prophesying, where are you doing this? You're doing it in church. So in one thing, he goes, Women pray and prophesy in church. Just cover your head when you do it. And then he goes, But you should also stay silent. What is going on here? This is confusing. I'm going to keep confusing us. Because Paul was a teacher of the law. And as a teacher of the law, he knew backwards and forwards the Old Testament. And what he knew is he knew that women were raped and killed and treated as property. He also knew there was this ark that moved women from uh, pieces of property to leaders. So the leaders that come to mind are leaders like Deborah, somebody who's ruling an entire nation. Okay, you have uh, these incredible women of faith, Hebrew calls them, women who stepped out and changed the world. So even in the Old Testament, there's a lot of contradicting information, which is why we cannot read, we're looking at the magnifying glass, at the, at the verse itself. We have to pull back and let's get our bird's eye view. Okay? Context is key. Let's get into the context. You ready? Good. How many people remember a couple weeks ago 
when I talked about fertility cults in Corinth. I feel like that's a memorable thing. <laughs> Nobody remembers this, though. I talked about how um, people in Corinth were a part of fertility cults. And uh, so there would be um, days-long orgies and days-long eating and drinking, and you would, you would pray to idols during that time. There was a specific uh, fertility cult. It was uh, for the goddess Artemis. And Artemis is where most women would get together, and they would worship this goddess. And when these women got together, there were day-long orgies, and they were eating, and they were drinking, and, and worshiping Artemis. Now, the truth of the matter is, they got really out of control, these women did, who were worshiping Artemis. Um, they started divorcing their husbands in order to be a part of this fertility cult. They started uh, performing abortions right on site, like at the idol. And then they started, uh, there was infanticide, so they were killing their children. So a lot of really, really disturbing um, uh, things were happening during this, this time this, with this goddess Artemis. It was so disturbing, in fact, that the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire said, hey, you are morally too loose. The Roman Empire said that. The Roman Empire, who allowed everything to happen, was like, whoa, for Artemis fertility people, back up. And so they had to actually create a law. Caesar Augustus actually created a law for these women, saying these women had to dress in a certain way. They could no longer have abortions on site. They could no longer kill their children on site. Um, and this was something that absolutely uh, could not happen any longer. So, so the Caesar Augustus kind of put a kibosh on this fertility cult. So what happened? Well, these women who were part of the fertility cult started coming to church. And they started coming to church at, at Corinth. And when they came to church, a few things happened. Number one, you have all these Jewish people who have never been a part of a fertility cult in their entire lives. And they all come in, and they see these women, and they're like, oh my gosh, these women are scary. And so they're leaving. So it's not helping the church to grow. Secondly, these women are coming in, and they're speaking up, and what they're saying is, we can worship Jesus Christ, and we can have orgies, and we can do these other things. That's what they're saying. Which, if somebody walked into church and said, Jonathan, can I talk for a little bit? And I said, yeah, and you walked up here and you were like, let's have orgies, let's do this and that. I'd be like, no, you stay silent. You know, like, so that's what they were doing. They were getting up and they were saying to the church, let's, let's participate in this um, fertility cult of Artemis, all right? The third thing that's going on, you have to remember the Roman Empire is really, really looking for a reason to persecute Christians. They're looking for a reason to persecute the church. They don't get the church. They don't believe in the church. And so all of a sudden, the same women that the Roman Empire has said, hey, um, we, need, we don't want you doing this anymore. Those same women have now come to the church, which does what for the church? Now the Roman Empire's eyes are where? On the church. So there's some dangerous stuff going on. There's literally life and death stuff happening here by the fact that these women are at the church. So now, in context, women, please stay silent. It takes on a whole new meaning because it doesn't matter if they're women, it doesn't matter if they're men, it doesn't matter if they were kids. If you're coming in, and you are preaching a message antithetical to the gospel, if you're preaching selfishness instead of selflessness, and if you're, if you're, if you're uh, making people so uncomfortable with your talk that people are actually leaving your church because of it, and if the Roman Empire is now looking at your church because you're there, what might you ask those women to do? Hush. Stay silent, please. For, for life's sake, so that we don't get killed, so that our church can grow so that we actually preach the gospel message. In context, anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're not preaching in this way, 
if you're preaching out, out of context, out of a selfless love of Jesus Christ, if you're preaching and that preaching is sending people through the doors afraid to be a part of your church, if that preaching is putting in you in life and death circumstances that, that uh, aren't necessarily helping the kingdom but are hurting you, you probably want that person to be silent. That's where we're coming from here. That's what's happening. So what does Paul do? He says women should stay silent. <sighs> I got to tell you, I'm not big on Paul's, um, the way he's doing it here. Uh, remember when you were in school and, uh, and the teacher would say, if so-and-so keeps acting up, everybody's going to get detention. And then we'd be like, so-and-so, stop acting up, right? And then we all got detention. You guys remember that? Or like in the army when the person couldn't run five miles and so the other members of the platoon had to clean the latrines because the one person couldn't run. This is what Paul's basically doing. He's saying, you know what? And if, if a few people are doing it, for now, in order for this church to go, I need all women to be quiet. That's what he's saying. Do we see the context of, in which he's at work? He is at work in a new covenant context. What does a new covenant context mean? He's at work in a covenant of Jesus Christ. He's at work in a covenant of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So he's saying with the death and resurrection, there's a new covenant. There are no laws, but the one thing we do want to do is we want to partner with God to make people flourish. And right now, this isn't bringing flourishing, so I need you to be quiet. That's what's going on. What does the new covenant look like in Jesus? The new covenant looks like in Jesus dies. Jesus is resurrected. And who does Jesus tell first? Who knows? Women. Do you know that's a scandal? That would have been a scandal at that time. It would have been a scandal for a woman to have such important information and be commissioned to share that information with others. And yet, the new covenant starts with Jesus' resurrection. Jesus sees Mary Magdalene. He goes, I commission you. Go out and tell the good news. Go out and tell that I'm, tell that I'm alive. He gets a woman to do it. Jesus' first preacher is a woman. Oh my gosh. And yet, when we read out of context in some letter that's over here with our head with the magnifying glass, we actually do harm to the new covenant of Jesus Christ when we look over here out of context and say, no, women can't preach. Jesus has women preaching right away, right? when he's, We're messing this up. We're messing this up. What are we supposed to do with this? What do you guys want to do with this? I love... Um, I love what this preacher Frank Viola says. So I'm just going to read you a passage of what he says because I think it's so good. He says, The New Testament should never be handled as a manual of floatable doctrines and isolated teachings. The New Testament is a whole. It's essentially a story. What is written in the letters of Paul and others is part of that story. The New Testament story contains a consistent message. It's a message of the new covenant. This covenant is not an updating of the old covenant. It doesn't include a new set of rules to replace the old set of rules. In short, the new covenant erases all social and class distinctions, and it has afforded all to receive the Spirit and serve as priests in God's house. All to serve as priests in God's house. That includes women. Whatever the limiting passages mean, they cannot in any way overturn the new covenant, and neither can they contradict the entire thrust of the New Testament. Hence, the idea that women are excluded from speaking in God's house is catastrophic breach of the new covenant. Isn't Christianity supposed to be about following Jesus? And Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Let's be consistent in this new covenant. Let's be consistent in the new covenant. In, in Corinthians, you know what else Paul tells them right around the, the passage of, of, women, of women being silent? Paul says, hey, cover your heads 
Okay, he says, cover your heads. Very clearly, cover your heads. He says, hey, if you're hanging out with a Jewish person, don't eat pork. That's messed up. He's saying that makes them feel bad. He says, hey, if you have widows, here's how I want you to manage your widows. And he says, if you're wearing gold or if you're braiding your hair, that's probably not a good idea. Now, we look at all that stuff, and what do we say? We say, oh, that's not. That's old covenant stuff. That's, that's the context and culture. That's, that's what that is. And yet, we get to this woman piece, and we go, well, maybe this is, maybe this is right. <laughs> no. Be consistent. This is all about context. This is all about culture. This is all about, uh, is all about the new covenant. Paul's saying if we're going to get the new covenant the way we're supposed to, where we're loving one another, it means everyone has that ability. And it means we're pushing one another towards selflessness. We're pushing one another towards flourishing. That's what we're up to. There was this woman... A girl, actually. I spoke, I spoke at this uh, high school event one year, like two years ago, and I bombed. It was really bad. Um, but anyway, but this one girl came up, and she, she, was a, uh, she was a senior, and she was like, I'm going to college, and she was crying. I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, she said, you know what? I feel my whole life, all I want to do is preach. That's all I want to do. I feel like I've been given this gift to preach, and I love Jesus, and all I want to do is talk about Jesus with people because I love Jesus so much, and my youth pastor keeps telling me I'm not allowed to. And I'm like, why is your youth pastor saying that? And she goes, because of the verses in the Bible where it says women should stay silent. He keeps saying I need to find something else to do. And I said, do you think you need to find something else to do? And she goes, I feel called to this more than I've ever felt called to anything in my life. And I was like, don't listen to your youth pastor then. Go preach. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how, how we could hold God hostage to a gender and say, like, God, you cannot work through this gender the same way you work through that gender. That makes no sense. If our God is infinite and unimaginable, then how would our God be finite enough to tell women to keep silent? It just doesn't work. In fact, it's damaging. It's dangerous. Passages like these have contributed to damage for women over the centuries. Passages like these, I say, uh, play a part in women making 77 cents for every dollar a man makes. I think passages like these uh, contribute to sexual assault, verbal assault, uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse. I think passages like these allow a father of a convicted rapist to say to the media, to say to the media, it seems like a pretty big punishment for 20 minutes of action. I think verses like these have contributed to us looking at women as 20 minutes of action. I think these verses have contributed to a white male narrative, and everybody else must fall in line behind that, just like the Bible says. I think these verses say, by virtue of a couple of chromosomes and a couple of body parts, you're not as good as I am. Does that sound like the gospel message to you? Does that sound like Jesus died for all? Does that sound like the Holy Spirit is a part of all? Then why would we do it? As all, we're a church in New York City, right? Uh, we have a ton of influence. And as a church in New York City with a ton of influence, with a vision to see a just and generous expression of the Christian faith, if that's what we have, then it's our job to speak up on this. It's our job to speak up on inequality. It's our job to speak up on the fact that women make less at jobs. It's our, fact, it's our job to speak up on any kind of uh, abuse or assault that we see happening, verbal or otherwise or whatever. It's our job to say something. And whenever us ridiculous men, because men, 
We're ridiculous. Whenever we play into stereotypes or whenever we say something that's callous or that plays into the, the male narrative, I hope that as a church, we would call one another out. We would hold one another accountable. We would ask one another to be mature. And we would say, no, no, the Spirit's upon all of us, not some of us. And here's what I hope. I hope that as a church that works in maturity, that works to disciple one another, that works to account, uh, hold one another accountable, I hope that we raise up incredible Incredible women leaders, that is my prayer, that that happens. And so today, that begins with us. That begins with us, and it starts today. And it starts by us looking at one another and saying we are equal. We've all been given the spirit, we've all been given a gift, we've all been given a calling. Let's go out in this city and use it well and use it wisely. Amen? I want to end by um, a verse that I love, but I can't find it. Here it is. It's Paul again, right? Paul's going to confuse us a little bit more. Because in his second letter to the Corinthians, here's how he says this. He says, if anyone, not some, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Have this attitude in which you were, have this attitude in in you which was also in Jesus Christ. I love this part. The old has gone and the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are, we are made in your image. We are thankful that you're God our Father. We're thankful that Scripture also shows us that you are God our Mother. Lord, help us to continue to deconstruct looking at Scripture as flat words on a page and to see the context and see the attitudes and to see your spirit behind it all. Lord, give us the patience and the guidance to see your words new and to know that this book is not some dated, uh, you know, uh, book that doesn't belong or doesn't matter anymore, but this book is living and it's speaking and it's informing to this day. Lord, we thank you for the grace that comes from your new covenant, the grace that calls us to preach your word. And that grace that when we fall down allows us to get up. Pray this in your name. Amen.